Hey, I'm Nicole, your host of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. On this show, we're going to be talking tangible action that you can take in order to achieve the life you thought was only achievable after retirement. Everything you want now in life, you can have it. Will it take hard work, patience, and uncomfortable growth? You bet it will, but it will be so worth it. On this show, we will be deep diving into the topics of lifestyle design, travel, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. I myself am a global citizen and world traveler who left my home country and conventional lifestyle behind for a life of adventure and following my passions. And that's exactly what I want for you. It's your time to love your work, build your wealth, and create the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Let's do this. On today's episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast, I feel very lucky to be joined by Michael Album. He is the program manager for the Roofstock Academy, and he is going to be sharing a lot of his wisdom and touching on a few different topics as it pertains to business, real estate, and travel today. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Nicole. Really excited to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So why don't we get started by you telling the listeners a little bit more about your story, where you started, and how you got to where you are today. Totally. So I started very traditionally doing all of the things that I think many of us are told to do when we're young, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, did all that. And so came out of college with this amazing engineering job in the Bay Area, California, and was like, I made it. I've done. I've reached the pinnacle. I did the thing that everyone said you're supposed to do. And then pretty quickly realized with the cost of living in the Bay Area that I wasn't going to get where I wanted to go fast enough. So um, read a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of it, if not read it. And it just talked about real estate and passive income. And because I was an engineer, I said, okay, this just makes sense from an ideological standpoint, mathematical spreadsheet. It made sense. And so I started investing in real estate as soon as I could. And I invested in a market that I knew in Southern California. It was a couple hours away from where I grew up. I had a family friend who was a property manager, an agent there, and she kind of held my hand, walking me through the steps after I spent about two years getting self-educated and bought my first property. And again, when that rent check showed up in, in, in my bank account that very first month, again, I was like, I did it. I'm a genius. I, I reached the pinnacle. And then pretty quickly realized that it wasn't going to get me uh, to where I wanted to go again as fast as I was hoping. So I said, okay, if I can do this once a year for 10 years, I'll have 10 properties. And that just sounded like a good number to me. All the while working my good engineering job, living well below my means. I lived with roommates. I moved in with friends to just keep my cost of living low. And also a kind of life cheat code that I had is the, the job that I was working as an engineer, I was traveling all over the country, all over the Western US for work several weeks a year. And so my cost of living was super low because my rent was super cheap, but I was also having the company pay for all of my quote unquote living expenses. They pay for my car, they pay for my phone, they pay for my internet, they pay for my meals, my travel. So I just wasn't spending a lot of money. So I was saving as much as I could investing it on the side. And because I was traveling for work, I also got to go to these markets outside of California and realized how much cheaper things were from a real estate perspective. And so I started buying up properties outside of California just because I happened to be in these local markets anyhow for work. So I definitely had a, a leg up and a cheat code, uh, but it worked out really well. And so I was doing that for years and years and years and eventually was able to, to leave that job. And I was doing some remote consulting on the side. And part of it had to do with my father passing away and, and kind of just needing a mental break from work. So 
left work, left my engineering job, picked up some consulting, real estate consulting work on the side, and then got connected with this company, Roofstock, which is where I'm currently working now. They're a, a real estate kind of fintech company based out of Oakland, California, doing some really, really amazing things in the single family space. But so I was investing remote the whole time. Um, when I left that job, I was traveling with my wife internationally. COVID hit, had to come back to the States, decided we weren't done getting our wiggles out. So then we built a van, had a van converted, did the whole van life thing. And so we just kind of been running around like chickens with our heads cut off for the last couple of years, but we've been having a lot of fun doing it. Um, so I know that was a ton of word vomit. So I will pause for uh, to, to chat with you and hear, hear your perspective, Nicole. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is definitely an interesting story condensed. Um, and so... Now, in you saying that, you mentioned something that you were thinking when you started your real estate investment journey, that you wanted to invest in a new real estate property once a year for 10 years, or that was your initial plan. Um, Now, I'm curious because I know a lot of people are interested in quote unquote passive income. So renter's income, maybe not quite so passive. Maybe you can touch on that. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious if you have ever heard of the book because you saying this reminds me of a book, um, 52 Homes in 52 Weeks by Ralph DeRoos. Um, so this is a really interesting resource if you are thinking about getting started in real estate investing. And you just saying that about once a year for the next 10 years reminds me of that. And it really talks about how you can have passive income, quote unquote, passive income through real estate investing. So talk a little bit more about that journey, what you have learned throughout your journey of real estate investing. And then if you have any resources that somebody looking to get involved or started in this world might be a good resource for them. Absolutely. So I love Nicole. And for anyone not watching, Nicole is doing air quotes as she's saying passive income, because I think it's a total misnomer in the sense that people think, oh, great, it's like a stock or a bond. I could just put money into this thing and then it'll give me money for the rest of my life. Well, technically, that's probably true. There's also some kind of steps in between that I think a lot of folks end up missing out. So I would say that real estate investing can absolutely be a passive income vehicle if you set your systems up from the beginning. And so it's one of those investments that there's a lot of legwork on the front end. If you're someone that's gonna be investing in direct ownership, meaning your name is on the deed or you have an entity on the deed, you own the thing personally. You've gotta figure out where you're gonna buy it, how you're gonna buy it, who's gonna manage it, how you're gonna repair it, how you're gonna upkeep it, and then eventually how you're gonna sell it. So those are all systems that you wanna set up before you ever make the purchase. There are investment vehicles out there, Nicole, that are totally passive. You can go invest in someone else's syndication. Meaning if I'm if I'm a syndicator, I'm going to go buy a 20 billion apartment, a 20 billion dollar apartment investment. I don't have 20 billion dollars, so I'm going to go raise money from other people who are going to pool our money together so that we can buy something bigger than any one of us could individually. So in that instance, I'm literally putting my money into this thing and I'm getting a return out of it. Now there's still legwork involved. You still have to go evaluate the syndicator, evaluate the deal, make sure that it's something that you want to participate in. But that's more of an an investment vehicle, and we call it indirect ownership. So there are absolutely ways to do it both ways, depending on what your risk appetite looks like, what your uh, work ethic looks like, how involved you want to be. So that's something that I learned uh, pretty pretty early on is that it's not entirely passive if you're going the direct ownership route. And there, but there are a lot of things that you can do to make it more passive. Like again, setting up those systems I talked about, having working with a great property manager making sure that they're on the same page as you uh, and aligning expectations, I think is one of the biggest lessons learned that along with communication 
and I would say over communicate at the beginning until you figured out each other's love languages, I'll call it, how they work and how you work. There's gonna there's this kind of dating period where you're doing this dance, figuring out, okay, how do you work? How do I work? Uh, until it becomes really smooth. Hmm. Interesting. I have actually never heard about the the syndicate, I think it was that you had mentioned. So syndications, yeah. Syndication. Yeah. So that's interesting. I'm gonna look into that a little bit more afterwards. And now is that something that is really only available in the US market or is that something that is pretty international? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I I would say that it is international. I've heard of international syndications. Um, most, most, not all, uh, are only available to what's called an accredited investor. And for anyone that's not familiar with what it is, I highly recommend you go looking it up, but it has something to do with your net worth or your income based upon you as an individual or your spouse. Um, there are syndications available to non-accredited investors, though, so I don't want to turn people off to that. But a lot of syndications are based in the US, but go invest internationally. So there are companies that go invest in foreign farmland. Um, we were chatting before. Before we hit record here, Nicole, that you're headed to Colombia shortly, there's a company uh, that invests in coffee companies in Colombia. And so you can be a, synd- a syndication partner in that business and, and grow and share in the profit of that business in particular. So they, they exist all over the world. And so where they're based versus where they invest, you'll have to, you know, all your listeners can go check the, those out individually, but th- they do invest uh, all over the world. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So yeah. I really want to talk about a topic that uh, when we initially chatted, you mentioned to me and it just, I totally lit up. It is something that I think so many people are interested in and don't realize that they have an option to do this. And that is to travel the world or travel outside the US, live outside the US, but still invest within the U.S. market in real estate. So can you talk a little bit more about how that is even possible? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, before we chatted, are are very interested in wanting to have some sort of a real estate portfolio or start building that. And you just think, you know, if I'm traveling the world full time or I only live in the States a few months a year or whatever your situation is, then that's just not possible. So you kind of just throw it out the window. So explain yeah. to us a little bit about how we can make this a reality. Totally. So it's a really good question. And I think that you're right. So many people do have this mental block where they say, okay, if I don't live next door to the property, I can't physically own it. So for me, I had this major mental unlock when I started investing outside of California, because I remember I was traveling for work. And so I would visit all these local markets. I would go there, set up the system, set up the property manager, the agent, whatever, all the physical people that I needed on the ground. And that I think is, is hypercritical to anyone's success if they're investing remotely. I would also argue, by the way, that if someone is, is investing where they live, they still need a lot of those same players, but it might not be as critical because if something doesn't work out, you could just call up whoever and go meet them and you know get, get everything sorted. But so I was able to overcome this mental hurdle of, okay, well, I'm here. I've met the people. I know these people. They're going to go manage this property for me. Now I'm going to go home, but there's still only a phone call or an email away. And so again, the communication, the over-communication at the beginning for me was so critical because I'm a, I'm a natural control freak. I'm an engineer. So I apologize for that in advance. But so I was constantly communicating with people, making sure that things were getting done. The longer I was able to do that, the more I was able to be hands-off and, and really trust the people that I was working with. Because like any relationship, things take time to build the trust. And so, so I was living in California, owning property in Alaska or owning property in Kentucky or in Ohio. And I realized, well, okay, if I'm just making phone calls, well, they can call me, they can email me. I don't have to be in California. I could be in 
Texas or New York or Costa Rica or Panama or Portugal. And so if I was making myself available for these time zones with the time difference, excuse me, it really didn't matter physically where I was because I'm still able to do all of the things that I would do. And those are typically respond to phone calls and emails. So once you can get your head wrapped around the fact that you can't go get in your car or get on a bus or walk to go see the property that you own, literally the world becomes your oyster. And so you can, again, physically be anywhere you want to be. But again, it all comes back to that beginning, setting up the processes, setting up the systems. Because if your systems are weak, it doesn't matter if you're local or if you're abroad, international, domestic, it's not going to work out. So again, put in the legwork, put in the effort, the time on the front end to make sure you've got airtight systems. And they're not always going to work out, especially for someone who's just getting started, who's just learning. There's going to be mistakes, but that's okay. Just know that there's going to be mistakes and stop trying to hold this thing so, so, so tight that I can't make a mistake. You're going to learn, um, but just you know, learn small, learn on, at the beginning. So that way you can, as you're looking to scale, if you are looking to scale, you can become more and more and more remote and more and more and more hands-off. Hmm. Interesting. So is that an opportunity that would only be available to Americans if they're looking to invest in the American market um, because of the fact of taxes and, um, I don't know, all of the other implications that may come along with that? Yeah, it's a really good question, Nicole. So um, I would say off the bat, no, it's not only available to Americans. And so it really depends on someone's um, tax status if they're on a green card or a visa or they're a resident or a citizen. So they, everyone should check with their, with their kind of immigration attorneys and make sure that their status is whatever. Uh, but I've worked with tons of international folks that are not citizens, but are able to open up a bank account. And that's usually kind of the big ticket item is if you can open up a bank account, you can probably get a mortgage. And if you can get a mortgage, then you can go invest. Now, mm -hmm. circumventing all of this is if you just buy the property all cash. If you're an international person not living in the U.S. or not a citizen, there are tons and tons and tons of foreign investors in the U.S. real estate market because it is such an attractive market with such amazing returns. So if you have the ability to purchase all cash, you can really circumvent that entire issue uh, in, in its entirety. Wow, I've never thought of that. Thank you for bringing that up. I mean, yeah. I guess, of course, that is definitely a pretty big upfront cash um, chunk that you'll have to take out um, an investment. But if you do have the ability to do that, then you can kind of circumvent, like you said, the mortgages, the bank accounts, and just go direct to the house. I've never even thought of that as a possibility. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. And, and then just to kind of further that point, Nicole, if there are people listening to this that fall into that category that maybe don't have the cash to invest up front, there's nothing that says you can't syndicate among friends and family. So if you're someone Canadian, maybe not a US citizen, you take five, 10, 15 friends that says, hey, let's all put in a couple grand and go buy this house cash. Now you own it together. You just put together your own little syndication with friends and family. So there are numerous ways to, to kind of slice the pie here. Uh, so I think it's, it's great that we're having this conversation, getting people's eyes open to all the different options that are available to them. Yeah, getting creative with it too. I, I love that you bring that up and I'm sure there's a million other ways to slice it as well in different ways that you could get um, that investment or different pools of investments from people. So I like that you bring up that kind of being creative on how to get involved within the real estate market. So totally. let's chat investing. I love investing and whether it is investing in 
a home or maybe stocks, ETFs, bonds, um, whatever that may look like for you. I think one common theme that we hear a lot is to get started when you're young. Like I said, whether that be real estate or, um, and that can kind of compound on itself or stocks or whatever that may be. So can you speak a little bit more to the investing side of things and why it is so beneficial to get started and get educated as well at the youngest age possible? Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a great question. I think that when we're young, we have this idea that time is infinite. And as we get older, we realize how just just how finite time is. And so I think that idea compounded with the concept of compound interest really goes to demonstrate how important time is from an investment perspective. So let's just kind of do a, a little thought experiment here. If you were to go buy a house, a single family home in the States uh, when you were 20 years old with a standard 30-year fixed mortgage, which is a very common uh, investment instrument in the States for purchasing property, um, you go, you put your 20% down, you own the property, someone's paying you rent over time. And at the end of that 30-year period, assuming you haven't touched the loan, you'll have paid off the house. So now this person is 50 years old. They will have been collecting rent every single month on that property essentially paying themselves if they did their numbers right and bought the property, right? They're also getting massive tax benefits for the entire duration, 27 and a half years of those 30 years. Uh, they're getting massive tax benefits. Uh, and then at the end, they own the property free and clear. And so your average single family rental in the States, excuse me, your average single family home in the States, I think I saw a figure recently, the average purchase price is like 400 grand. If we add average average appreciation over time, call it three to 5% compounded over 30 years, that final value number is like astronomical. And that person owns it free and clear. So all that equity is there. So by buying a one, one single family home, either to live in or as an investment property, someone could essentially create their own retirement plan. Right. So if we take 5% compounded over, over 30 years at 400K, I don't know what the number is, but let's just say conservatively, it's in the 750,000 to a million range. Right. You have a million dollars in equity. Look at what you need to retire or what someone's forecasting to have in their 401K or 403B or whatever retirement plan they have. Um, a million bucks. Hey, that's not bad. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a, thank you for doing that little thought example. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I think, especially when you're younger, like you said, you think you have all the time in the world, but I think it's really important to restructure the way that you look at it. And every month, every six months, especially every year that goes by is whatever certain percentage value that you have essentially lost in your investments. Um, so I think that, you know, doing those thought examples and thinking about it that way is really critical and will hopefully get your butt into motion to start getting invested. So my question for you within saying all of that is if somebody is looking to get started in investments, uh, what is your preferred way or method in order to really just get started and start building something, a portfolio of their own, and then maybe building on top of that in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say it's like anything super important to get educated on the front end about what the investment is, what the upsides are, but more importantly, from the upsides, I would say what the downsides are. Because I think a lot of people are very familiar with stock investing or real estate investing and what the potential upsides are. But what I think less people might be familiar with is what the downsides are. 
And it's really important as you're looking to pick an investment vehicle to determine what your own risk tolerance is. If you're someone that wants to go be an angel investor and speculate in startups because you only need one in a hundred to make it big and you'll earn your return, great, go do that. If you're someone that's like, I only have a thousand dollars, I got to figure out the best way to preserve this capital, but also make a return on it. You really want to know what is the potential for that thousand dollars to be eviscerated, right? And in the stock market, companies go to zero. That happens. I've had that happen to me, right? I put money into this and it, poof, gone. Like there's no coming back from that. And so figuring out, again, what are the downsides and how do you protect the downside, I'd say is really important. So just go pick up a book about investing in whatever sounds interesting, whether it be bonds, ETFs, stocks, real estate, uh, you know, private equity, wh whatever it is, and just go start learning about it. And you can do tons of research online for free. Um, I would just make sure that people are vetting the sources of which they're getting their information from, because now with the internet, anybody can post anything to a page and have it be out there in the world for people to learn about. So I would just go vet your sources. One one source that I really like is Bigger Pockets. Uh, it's a great website. It's you can, people can access it for totally free. They have a paid membership. I'm not associated with them at all, but I just think it's a great place for folks to go, kind of get started. Again, it's it's a community. It's an online community. So take comments in the message board and forums with kind of a grain of salt and make sure the people who are you're taking the information from are qualified to be giving the information. Um, and there, I would also say, in addition to that podcast, there are podcasts about every subject under the sun. So as you're driving to work or as you're working out or cleaning, whatever you're doing, throw in a podcast and start learning about what the different options are. Then you can start picking one to go learn more in depth about and then kind of go pick a niche. Yeah, I like that. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. You know me. I mean, there are so many different ways that you can invest your money these days. And there's even crypto. Like I feel like it's ever increasing. Um, so really figuring out what is your risk tolerance is a, a great starting point. And um, and then figuring out what interests you and where your passions are, and then kind of going from there and investing. Um, I feel like I'm increasingly becoming more interested in real estate investing, but since I've always loved the online space and online business, the online world, um, I initially got started in my investing through stocks and ETFs um, and now bonds, but uh, I was always kind of interested in actually not owning anything physically or holding anything physically um, and minimalism, honestly, and having as little things as possible. So for me, that was the type of investment that initially interested me. Um, but like I said, you know, real estate is definitely becoming more interesting to me, especially as I travel the world full time and see so many opportunities in different countries all over the world. So on that note, I would love to chat to you a little bit about travel. So you and your partner are also full time travelers and you have a van that you travel. I don't know if it's internationally or in the States, but I would love to hear more about that and what van life looks for you as well, looks like for you, as well as something that you call house hacking. I would love to hear more about this house hacking. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So we came back from our big trip because of COVID and we were living on the central coast of California. And we said, you know what, we're just not quite done getting our wiggles out. And so it was right about the time where van life started exploding all over the internet. And my wife came to me one day, she's like, Michael, like we should do this. We could totally do this. And I was like, there's no way we can do this. Like that's just, it seemed totally crazy, totally foreign to me. 
And we both worked remote, thankfully, and we both were able to keep our jobs during the pandemic. And so she kind of showed me how amazing this could be. And so we finally, we bought a van, we bought a blank canvas, we had our buddy of ours build it out. And then we rented out our house that we were living in on the central coast and went and lived in a van full time for eight months and just traveled around the Western US going to see things that we'd always wanted to see. And it's funny because I think a lot of people have seen the Instagram reels or, you know, online photos of van life. It's so spectacular. It's glorious. And like, yeah, well, that's true. A lot of the time we slept in a lot of Walmart and Home Depot parking lots. So it's not always super glamorous. And there are, there were times where we were trying to figure out where the hell we could get fresh water from. And we accidentally filled up our tank with like sulfur smelling water. So we had to go dump the tank, go buy a five gallon jug of water to dump in the tank just to clean it out. And we're like, this is miserable. So there are so many amazing memories that we created from doing it, but also kind of like we were talking about before, this passive income thing, things aren't always what they seem like online. Now, I will say living in a van, being able to travel on a moment's notice to a national park, to a state park, to BLM, national land, and see incredible sites is like truly phenomenal. It's just amazing. There are also frustrations that come along with that freedom. And so, again, I encourage people to do their research and be aware of the downsides and the potential pitfalls to van life. But we loved it. We highly recommend it to anyone. Uh, It was my wife, myself, and our dog, and we just had an absolute ball. That's so cool. That's so much fun. But yeah, I think you're totally right. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I have personally never done van life, hoping to in the future um, for a short period of time. But I think it can be very glamorized online. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective as somebody who did it for many months. And that was your home. You didn't have anywhere else to go during that time. So You know, I think things can get very glamorized online, but it's important to keep it in perspective and know that there are always going to be hiccups and mishaps. And sometimes it may not look like it is really cut out to cut out what it looks like online, which I think is is natural with anything. So you've done van life. Talk to us about what is this house hacking? Yeah. And what does that look like? How can someone get involved in that? Totally. So part of the reason we started to do van life was we weren't super happy where we were living on the central coast. And we said, let's go take some time and figure out where we want to be. So we traveled all over the Western US. My wife's originally from the Bay Area, California. I lived there for a long time. Uh, And so we kind of traveled around a lot of the Bay Area too, hopping around different towns, figuring out where do we want to settle down? Where do we want to put down roots? We eventually found where that was, this little town about 45 minutes north of San Francisco. And we, we bought a house. And so we'd, we'd done the van life thing. Um, and we were putting in offers all the while we were living in our van. And we were actually in Arizona visiting some family when we got the call from a realtor that our offer got accepted on the house. We put an offer. And so we jammed home. And the reason we offered on this house was because it was basically a duplex. It had a downstairs unit, a beautiful 3-2, and an upstairs unit 1-1 one, one, uh, with totally separate entrance. And because I'm an investor, because I'm an engineer, everything is math-driven um, my, my wife makes fun of me all the time for it. But so I said, we have to be able to have this investment component to where we're living. I just can't stomach shelling out a mortgage payment without getting something in return. So we said, we can Airbnb this unit out. We can rent it out. We can do all kinds of things to it. So we moved in and rented out our upstairs unit. Um, and so house hacking essentially is buying a place where you live with extra space, rooms, units, whatever you want to call it. And you live in one space unit and rent out the other. 
extra space rooms, you know, whatever. And so there are a lot of people that talk about house hacking, especially in less expensive parts of the country where they actually are making money every single month living for free. They're getting paid to live where they live because there is enough rental income on the other space rooms units to cover their mortgage and then some. We live in California. It's a very expensive market. The numbers just don't pencil out from a rental perspective oftentimes. So we are subsidizing our mortgage. And we said, you know what? Let's look at what it costs to rent here. If we can pay the same amount in mortgage as we would be paying in rent or less, that's a win. We knocked it out of the park. And so that's what we've done. We've subsidized our mortgage between anywhere from 50 to 75% on a monthly basis, depending on the Airbnb rentals we get that month. And we said, this is awesome. This is totally awesome. We're building equity. We're not paying as much as we would be to live in this amazing part of the country. Um, so we are stoked. So for anyone listening, one of the reasons that I think this is such a powerful investment vehicle, because people listening are like, well, what you live in the house is not an investment. It's There's a number of different things that, that go into this equation why I think it's so powerful. So one is you're getting owner-occupant financing. And for anyone that's looked at getting a mortgage for an investment property, you'll know that it's a little bit more expensive usually a, point, a percentage point or more as compared to an owner-occupant mortgage. So if you go live in the property, banks will give you a better rate. Number two, the down payment requirements are significantly less. You can go buy an owner-occupant property oftentimes for 3.5% down versus a traditional investment property putting 20% minimum, minimum down. So you're getting a better rate, you're getting a lesser down payment, and you still get a lot of the same tax benefits that you do with investment property because you're renting out part of your property. So work with a tax professional, make sure that they're helping you figure it out, but it's percentage breakdown, basically pro rata. Uh, and so you also get experience as a landlord whilst also getting a place to live. So you're really getting to double dip on a lot of the benefits of investment property, but at the same time, you actually get a place to live because that's so often the question people ask themselves is, do I go buy investment property? or Do I go buy a single family or a owner occupant property? It doesn't have to be either or. It can be this kind of beautiful hybrid marriage of the two. So that's house hacking in a nutshell. Again, tons of word vomit. I apologize to everyone listening, but hopefully that was helpful. Wow, that's so interesting. No, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I completely agree with everything you said. I think <laughs> that a lot of the time people, like exactly what you said, think it has to be one or the other, or, you know, I need somewhere to live. So I've got to buy that first. And then down the road, the investment property can come, but sometimes one house can get very overwhelming and that investment property never comes. And I actually know quite a few people who over the years have built up a portfolio similar to what you're doing of starting with a duplex where they live in half of it and they rent out the other half. And then, you know, as life goes on, you're able to purchase more duplexes. And although you don't live in all of them, um, it is a really great way to start building your portfolio and have a little bit more passive income per month. I definitely know being a landlord is not something at all that is completely passive, nor will it ever be, especially when having to deal, maybe you've dealt with this, deal with bad tenants or um, different things with the law that are required with having tenants and maybe sometimes tenants who aren't spectacular. But 
regardless, I think that it is a really great way if you're interested in real estate to get started. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And then one other thing I'll say, Nicole, just kind of, again, to piggyback and take it a step further, when people are thinking about this, if they're listening, thinking there's no way I would ever live with roommates or with someone next door to me, this doesn't have to be a long-term solution. Most mortgages stipulate you have to live in the property for one year. And so think about this. You go, you put a three and a half percent down payment, you get owner-occupant financing, you live in the property for one year, you have a neighbor, a tenant, upstairs, whatever, and then you move out of the property and you go do it again and you go buy another duplex or another. And so you can think in one year increments. And when you move out of the property, you're going to infill it with a tenant. And so you want to run the numbers on that property as if you no longer live in it but you still have the low down payment and the owner occupant financing. And so you can kind of really bunny hop your leapfrog your way up to several properties and building up your portfolio that way in a relatively short amount of time. And so again, if anyone's ever uh, investigated buying investment property and like 20% just doesn't make sense, I I can't come up with that cash. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit and think, what if you only have to put three and a half percent down? Could you get in it that way? And so again, just thinking, kind of forecasting long-term and how, how to build a portfolio. This is a really, really great way to do it. And then when you're done, quote unquote, you move into a home that you get to live in by yourself or with your family or whomever, or you never stop, right? And so again, it's a kind of means to an end. Wow, that's so interesting. I've never thought of it that way to kind of leapfrog between different houses. And if you only have to be in them for a year, if that's the stipulation, then uh, I don't know if that's only in America or if that translates to other countries, but that is definitely a really great hack. So I know that we chatted on the topic of travel um, off air. We have chatted a little bit about how yourself and your partner travel the world through home exchange and how you leverage the property that you have in the States to travel the world essentially with free accommodation. So are you able to talk a little bit about that? That is a topic that I absolutely love to share with people. I think it's a very underrated platform right now. So please share your experience and how that works. Totally. So we we bought this house on the central coast, like I was saying, when we came back from the pandemic. So that's where we were living. And like I was saying before, my wife and I were like, well, we're not done getting our wiggles out. Where can we go? That's safe. In, in the midst of a pandemic. And so she found this website called homeexchange.com. And it's literally exactly what it sounds like. You literally exchange homes with someone. You just swap. There's no money exchanged. Um, there is a way that, to do it like on points, which kind of costs money. But what we did was called a reciprocal exchange. We literally swapped homes with this other family. They came to our space. We went to theirs. We used their linens, their towels, their bed, whatever. Not the Actually, we did kind of use their clothes because they're super awesome people and we were in the snow, uh, but you don't have to. You can kind of stipulate wh- whatever it is that you'd like to set up. And we got to go explore this amazing place in Colorado for three weeks for free because this family was in our place. And it was never something I had done before. It was never something my wife had done before. And so I was chatting with my grandma about it and she's a total riot. And she's like, well, Michael, how do you know these people haven't stolen your stuff? I was like, well, that's a really good question. I guess I said, well, I mean, we're in their space, so we would just steal their stuff too. Like it's this, it's this mutual respect. No one stole anything. We had an amazing experience. We've done it multiple times and have always had a really fantastic experience. And I think there's something about you being in someone else's space and them being in your space that really broods this mutual respect versus the Airbnb or the rental 
you know, I might go to your house, Nicole, and and pay you to be there. And so I might feel entitled to certain things or to act a certain way. And there's very little risk to me because you're not at my house. So if I mess up your house, what? that's your problem, not mine. Versus this kind of mutual respect. So I've loved it. We get requests from all over the world of people wanting to come and stay. Uh, we hosted a family from Iceland a while back. We didn't do a reciprocal, reciprocal exchange, but we became such good friends with them that we are now going to go stay at their house likely in the summer because we just had this amazing experience with having them in our space um, and them being able to, to be in our space. So it is a phenomenal way to travel uh, because again, accommodation, I think is one of the biggest expenses with travel. And so if that's covered and you know, it's a, it's a relatively fixed expense because whatever your mortgage payment is on the piece of property that you're normally living in, um, is, is what it's going to cost you to go travel. So it's a phenomenal resource. I think it's like a hundred bucks a year. Again, I have no affiliation with the website, uh, but I highly recommend people check it out. So cool. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing your experience with yeah. that. Um, you know, in you saying all that, I'm like, oh, I really wish I could do that. Um, but unfortunately, we live out of a suitcase. We purposely don't want to have a home or anything of that sort right now. So when I was looking into home exchange originally, when I found out about it, I was like, this is amazing. We need to do this. Only to find out that it was not an option for us because <laughs> we do not have, you can rent or buy. So it doesn't have to be you own the home, but uh, we don't have a space that is ours. So unfortunately, that is not an option for us yet. Or if you live out of a suitcase and you don't um, own a home or rent an apartment or a home, may not be the best option. But I think a lot of people who want to travel do have homes and do want to see other parts of the world. It's not just the country of the entire world, which I think is so amazing. So what a great platform. And I'm so happy to hear that you guys have utilized it and have had amazing experiences. Totally. So, totally. And I think it, it just goes kind of just to, to piggyback on your point. So many people think, oh, I can't, I, you know, I have to go travel first because I don't want to be laden with this mortgage. Once I have a mortgage, then I can't go anywhere. And it's like, no, that's not true. Once you have a mortgage, you actually might be able to go more places than you ordinarily would. So I think, you know, don't get caught in the old way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally love that. So the last topic I wanted to touch on with you was that you and your partner have both gained the golden visa or in the process of becoming citizens of Portugal through the golden visa program. So are you able to touch on a little bit about this? I know that this is a super popular program, um, but who is this program really best for and why did you get started within this program? What are the benefits of going through this program and then eventually becoming a Portuguese citizen? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's another really great question. So first and foremost, for anyone who, who's not familiar with the Golden Visa, they, they have these programs all over the world and they're sponsored by host countries. And what they're designed to do is get some sort of, usually it's foreign investment into that country as a pathway to citizenship for the investor. And so again, all over the world, all different kind of, and they call them schemes. And it's funny in the States, a scheme is typically associated with a negative connotation. In other parts of the world, it's a, a good thing or it's a totally fine program. So scheme and program are, are synonymous. So it's really designed for anyone that wants access to Portugal as a country or for our intents and purposes, really the greater EU. So my wife lived in Sweden for a number of years. She almost got her citizenship, decided not to. 
has since only after the fact decided that was a mistake. And so she found out about this program through Portugal where you can invest in property and get your citizenship at the end of a five to six year period, all the while getting your permanent resident status. So we just got permanent resident status. And the reason we chose Portugal is because their program is what's called non-habitational permanent residence, which means we don't have to live there. So actually a little known fact about me, I actually had my permanent resident status in Canada for a while. My older brother went to school there. My family lived there for a while. And we considered moving there just as a plan B as an option to have. And for anyone that's not familiar, Canadians have universal healthcare. They have very inexpensive college tuition. There's like a lot of benefits that social benefits that afforded to citizens, not to, uh, not to non-citizens or non-permanent residents. So getting this status in a lot of countries is really, really beneficial. And so we said, you know what, for us, it's more about our future kids that we don't yet have, but if they have the ability to live, work, study anywhere in the EU for free, what an amazing gift. And for my wife and I personally, if things don't go well in the States or we decide we want to go spend more time in Europe, there's oftentimes limitations around being able to do that. And in the Shanigan zone, it's usually 90 days unless you have a special visa. So we said, you know what, let's just kind of circumvent that. Let's just go do this thing. Investing in properties abroad or remote was something I was already familiar with. So we were able to, we were very fortunate we were able to do that in Portugal and so now we have permanent resident status, and ultimately, uh, we're hoping to gain citizenship in the next five years or so. So who is this program for, you asked? Anyone that is looking for an alternative citizenship option. And so, again, we have access to the entire EU, so Portugal doesn't have to be our end-all, be-all destination, although we happen to love it there. Um, but gaining access to the entire EU as a citizen Anyone that's, that, that is attractive to them, I would encourage them to investigate this program. And whether it's Portugal or Spain or Granada, I mean, again, these, these schemes, these programs exist all over the world. And so we, we also have one in the States, by the way, but it's very, very, very expensive. I think it's like a million dollars to be able to gain access to it. So again, it's just another roundabout way uh, to gain access to a country, either as a permanent resident or eventually becoming a citizen. So I will stop there because I know, again, I'm, I'm word vomiting all over this episode, but hopefully that's helpful for folks listening. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's great information. And I really like that you brought up when you were mentioning a little bit about how you could have become a, I think it was permanent resident of Canada um, because you just wanted to have options. And I think this is a really important conversation that is starting to be had in certain spaces where especially if you're American, but even from other Western countries and countries all over the world, you want to be able to have options because you may not like some of the laws that are passed that are majorly going to affect you within your country or the direction that your country is going. And so I think it is really important to, as a global citizen, to understand this and have a similar mindset as what you and your partner do, that you want to have another option. And it's amazing that that option gives you access to the Schengen zone is a great plus, but it really comes down to having the option. You know, I myself um, I'm no longer a Canadian resident um, because I didn't really agree with some of the things that were going on. And 
the benefits of me not actually living here, they weren't that amazing when other countries would benefit me and my business so much more being a world traveler and not actually being located in Canada and giving my money to the Canadian government and the systems here that I don't utilize. So I think it's really important to um, really assess what what I like to call what your lifestyle design is and how you want your lifestyle to look. And maybe that doesn't include the country that you were born in. And I think that as a global citizen is completely okay. Just because you were born there or raised there, grew up there, doesn't mean that you are obligated to stay there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the more people learn about their country that they're from, uh, like you said, they might not agree with some of the things that are going on or where the country is headed. And so being able to know that, hey, there are other options out there, I think is is hugely eye-opening. Yeah. Awesome. I completely agree. Well, to start wrapping up the episode, what is one thing that you would like to leave the listeners with? I know we've talked about so many different topics, which I absolutely love. It's all been very in-depth and interesting, but what is one last thought that you would like to leave the listeners with to wrap up this episode? I think kind of hearkening back to what we talked about previously in the episode, it's just go get educated uh, around whatever it is that you're trying to do, whether it's invest or learn more about different school options or like there, like there's so many free resources out there for folks to take advantage of. Um, And so it can often be overwhelming, but I would say just go start. Like just go start somewhere, push over that first domino. It'll often become a a chain reaction and you'll figure out, okay, well, this is the step. This is the first step. I don't know what steps two through five look like, but let me take this first one. And then two through five will appear down the road. And so I would say, just go get started. Go, go learn about whatever it is you're trying to do. um, And I think sit back and watch the results come to you. Great advice. I completely agree with that advice. Just take the first step and everything will open up from there. You don't you don't know the path that's going to open up. I never thought six years ago that I would be where I am today, but because I took that first step, it happens. Right, right, right. <laughs> so where can people find you, your company, if they're looking for more information? Where can they find you online? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, which I never thought I would be, but I'm at Twitter, um, on Twitter at, at Michael Album. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Same thing, same spelling, Michael Album. Uh, you can come find me at roofstock.com. That's the company that I work for. Uh, and I also host a podcast. It was formerly the remote real estate investor sticking with the theme that we were chatting about today, but it's now called the SFR show. Uh, and anywhere you find podcasts, you can find that as well. Awesome. Yeah. And I think if you enjoy this conversation, then definitely check out his links below and his podcast. So Michael, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, Nicole. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Well, what a truly amazing episode. Michael, thank you for being on the show. And I hope that you learned a lot and that this episode really got you thinking about how you can start to better your future, whether that be through investing and the various different ways of investing that we spoke about, through traveling, through doing something that you truly love and that lights you up every single day. Don't forget to check out Michael's social links down below. And if you have any comments on this episode, feel free to reach out to Michael or to me on Instagram at NomadNeeks. Thank you for joining me today on the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast, and I will see you next time.